Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Uh, good morning, New Zealand. 9.03 here on SENZ. Uh, next three hours, uh, we'll look to entertain you with uh, a real range of subjects, uh, beginning with uh, Jeff Wilson, the golden one. Um, of course, the rugby season, in fact, does really kick off tonight, doesn't it? Pre-season game between Moana Pacifica and the Chiefs. A lot of interest in that uh, for a number of reasons. We'll talk about that with Jeff. Uh, Sean Sinnott is going to be with us. Uh, of course, uh, he's Zoe's dad, Zoe Zadusky Sinnott our famous skier who's uh, about to, or Winter Olympian, who's about to take us to glory, we hope. Uh, and uh, Sean will be watching uh, from home. We'll get all those details from Sean, but what's it going to be like? How much pride has he got and what his daughter's achieved already? Goodness me. Um, we'll be talking cricket just after 10 o'clock. Um, a few subjects there. Full round of Ford Trophy today, actually, uh, kicking off around the country. Uh, Mark Hinton uh, will be with us with uh, Dave Worsley. Uh, uh, they're part of the panel this morning, so I look forward to that around about 10.20. Uh, Louis, of course, uh, and the TAB just before 11. Lavina Good, uh, always uh, a great panellist with us. Well, Lavina is in Beijing. So uh, what's it like over there? Uh, from a media point of view, it's almost uh, set to get underway. Uh, what are her, her expectations and her observations? And uh, at 11.43 this morning, um, Mick Guerin will be with us, of course, with his normal slot, but we'll do, uh, I think, uh, a tribute, what I say a tribute, a reflection from Mick uh, on the passing of the legendary Roy Purden, uh, who uh, was uh, uh, one of the great servants to the harness racing industry and has uh, died in his mid-90s. Um, wonderful guy, wonderful family, uh, great life. So we'll hear from Mick uh, around about uh, quarter to 12, a bit more about that. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. If you are going to complain about the way something works, at least come up with a viable alternative. They could be the words on the Neil Barnes headstone way down the line. Good old Barnesy, on behalf of his beloved Naki, was very outspoken, wasn't he, for a few months back about the unfair promotion relegation system in the Bunnings NPC. And it appeared, for all intents and purposes, it was to deaf ears at HQ. But now it seems it wasn't. Scrap it, he said. Combine the groups and let all the teams play for the top prize. They are so even, anyone can pretty much beat anyone on the day. Uh, The initial thoughts looked a good concept. Seated each time around on your previous year's showing, a sort of risk and reward. 
Taranaki led the charge for change. NZR listened. There's been no negative response thus far. August, the begin date, is a long way off and eternity, in fact, when trying to plan these days. God only knows what we will all be able to do by then. Uh, Methinks the Winter Olympics will get record ratings this time around. We're all craving some top-level sport involving Kiwis. And this is the perfect window before international cricket and super rugby kicks in. Let's start the melon grabbing and backside stomping. Let's all pray for the dirge that is our national anthem to echo through the mountaintops many times, courtesy of our youthful brigade of 15. And most importantly, let's not hear any tales of depression or mistreatment which placed a dark cloud over the summer version. And this just through from NZR. Dunedin, which was last night named as a replacement venue for Super Rugby over in Invercargill, has itself been replaced by Stewart Island. Teams will now bust a bluff, ferry to the island, play under the lights of the oyster boats, then ferry back to the mainland and bus back to Queenstown. Let's hope this one appeals because the next option further south is a pretty cold one. Although their daily 1pm reports are very, very encouraging. here on SCNZ. Well, rugby season is officially here with the Super Rugby preseason firing up tonight with Moana Pacifica taking on the Chiefs at uh, Mount Smart, which will be shown on Sky Sport. Money is also being raised for the Tongan Relief Fund. Folks, you can donate at moanapacifica.co.nz slash donate. News came out yesterday that Invercargill is being shunned in favour of Dunedin to host the Super Rugby Pacifica matches. Uh, the Stuart Island thing was just a joke. A man who knows all about leaving Invercargill behind for the bright lights of Dunedin, uh, I guess, is, is Jeff Wilson, former All Black. Uh, I, 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 I look at this, uh, Jeff. Good morning to you. Happy New Year. I, I look at this and I think, I, I think Forsyth Bar under under the lights uh, and under the roof is probably a pretty good option, don't you? Yeah, like I think common sense. And look, if you're trying to produce the best games of footy, there's no doubt Invercargill and Rugby Park is a good surface. Now they've worked hard down there to, you know, to provide uh, through NPC a quality place to play. But uh, in terms of all the facilities for the players, uh, the surface being guaranteed. Look, in the contest you're going to get, um, there's no doubt going there. Look, you didn't mention Stuart Island. I tell you what, good bit of feet of blue cod, some oysters down there wouldn't be half bad. I tell you what, I wouldn't be taking. The ferry across, I can tell you that for a fact, I'd be flying. But look, would, this is this is the, the start of something new, right? We've got new, a couple of new teams. It's time to kick this thing off, and let's just hope we can get a full competition. Well, we get a taste of it tonight, Jeff, uh, and uh, it's it's great. It's great. We're going to see Moana Pacifica. Be uh, have only had a little bit of time together compared to the other squads in terms of their history, etc. But uh, how do you think uh, they're going to match up initially? Look. Uh, I mean, you'd be crazy to think they're going to go out there and win this competition. What, what we've seen historically across, across the globe when you introduce new franchises, new teams, it takes them a while to settle in. And they've done a very, I think, a, a good job of putting together a squad that's going to be competitive. It's unfortunate the way things have worked out, the fact they're going to have to play all of the New Zealand teams early on, so straight away, rather than getting a little bit of a taste from New Zealand and Australia There'll be no respite here in New Zealand, unfortunately, for them. But 
when you've been able to bring into your squad the likes of a Christian Lealafano, Captain Sakopi Kipu, you know, when you've got that sort of experience, it'll just help lead these other players and show them what the expectations will be. But it's going to be tough. They're going to need some time. I think there's enough there, though. There's enough ability that if they can stay healthy, they'll be able to improve through the course of the season and they'll challenge a number of teams. Yeah, and the the interesting thing for me about this is that if we look behind the scenes ever so slightly, I mean, uh, Super Rugby franchises uh, have got quite a history about them now. There's quite a feeling about them, quite a following. Uh, but Moana Pacifica's history, whilst it's not so much in rugby, it is deep in their culture. And uh, I, I sense from what we're hearing coming out of the group and the little chats we've had to, to various players, coaches, etc., is that's very deep in the way they are going to approach this. Absolutely, and, and they're going to use that culture to, to, to drive their success, and particularly early on, because when there are going to be tough times, they're going to need to fall onto that culture to keep the positivity up. But in saying that, you, you just don't know that if they hit the ground running, there's a number of teams you know, that won't have their All Blacks in the first couple of rounds, so it means that they might see that as their opportunity to make a statement early on. The, the interesting thing for me will be how they play, because... Aaron Major and their coaching team have the decision to make, do they just play like another New Zealand franchise when a lot of these guys have come out of NPC teams or do they show a flair and a talent that they naturally have and do they get the balance of, you know what, we're going to be different to the other New Zealand teams. To be fair, if you watched, there's a lot of similarities about how the New Zealand teams play. If they break away from that, I think that will suit them better It'll certainly, um, you know, I think it'll, it'll, it'll attract uh, a different fan base. And, and look, what they're having to do is that they're having to manufacture uh, uh, performances earlier on in, in uh, uh, their tenure as a super rugby franchise. And look, at the, the first couple of t- uh, years is going to be tough. The good side for me, Smitty, is the fact that each year there'll be more players around the globe that become available, or even here in New Zealand through mm. other super rugby teams, they come off contract. So they'll have more scope to contract more players and and other players. And and as they get that, they'll strengthen. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, Jeff. I think it's uh, it's going to be a breath of fresh air, a real challenge. But I'm so looking forward to to watching it. And that, that of course, begins tonight. Um, Let's look at uh, perhaps uh, two or three of the other uh, franchises. There's seen so much talk about RTS, of course, Roger Tuovasa-Shek. Now we're hearing he's at 12. Uh, amongst a, a Blues backline that looks very, very potent all of a sudden. Look, I spent a lot of time um, a couple of days ago going through all of the squads across both uh, here and, and uh, uh, across the Tasman and Australia. And look, the, very much a lot of the status quo here in New Zealand. You know, the Crusaders are, are, are the Crusaders. The, the way they've been for a number of years, they've got strong depth, they've got talented playmakers, once again, though, we don't know when Richie Moonga is going to hit the field and hit the ground running. A lot of these guys had big years last year, so how, how much of a challenge is it going to be for them? The Blues, look, they've, they've, they've really strengthened their squad and they've lost Patrick Tupolotu, which is certainly going to be very, very difficult to replace. Luke Romano's come north, but how much, of a, how much game time he's going to get on a consistent basis, I'm not, I'm not sure. Look, it's going to be a rock star back line. Um, there's going to be players who have got points to prove. You know, the likes of Hoskins Satutu and Akira Iwani needing to take that step back up again um, in Super Rugby to prove to Ian Foster and his, his team that they are the guys for the black jersey, you know. So I think there's, 
There's a lot of talking points. Um, you know, the back line, like you say, Roger Tuovasa-Shek is... Look, the, the reports are impressive. Um, it was great to see him come and do some media uh, last week, talk about the fact he's nervous. It's going to still be... There'll still be that feeling out um, because you can train as hard as you like. You can put yourself in competitive situations, but when push comes to shove, there's no doubt he's going to be under um, scrutiny. But I tell you what, he is some sort of talent. He was some sort of player for the Warriors, and I think he's got everything it's, uh, that... that um, you know, everyone's talking about it's there. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Across the other, if you look at it, I mean, I think Smithy, you know, because it's status quo, the same thing. The Chiefs and the Hurricanes will be incredibly competitive and your Highlanders will be underdogs again, but they'll find a way to stay competitive. There's a sort of balance across a lot of this comp, but in the end, the Crusaders and Blues, on paper, still stand out. How's the early rounds going to play out then, Jeff? Uh, there has been, as we've said, uh, a bit of history of, of willingness to play at home, the desire to play at home. Well, that's not going to be the case, basically, except for the, the Highlanders, although it'll be in an empty stadium. So how, how do you see uh, the effect on these squads playing on neutral venues? Do you see much of one? Um, no, no, not really. I, you know, I think uh, when, when you, you talk to them, when they had to play in uh, empty crowds, once they got inside the white lines... Um, uh, they just got on with it, and the quality of football was really strong. And that obviously wasn't last year; the year before, you know. But but they they sort of just got down the business of playing. They're competitive athletes; they want to win. Um, you know, the fact that their their preseason has been disrupted um, with this travel and all of these challenges, and they'll be getting tested and um, on a daily basis, um, isolating themselves into a bubble. It may have some sort of effect. And then, of course, you know, travelling on game day. Um, and, and if you are playing in Dunedin, that's going to be a, a, a significant round trip. So dealing with all of that, um, whether or not it takes a little bit of an edge off teams, and then I think you'll see that sides that are mentally tough, that can keep themselves well and truly focused, can get themselves emotionally up for the games. And so that, that to me, will be critical. I, I think you might see some upsets early, but just for the nature of, of what we're dealing with and the fact that a number of All Blacks are not going to be available. They're just that they're not going to be ready to contribute and play. So you get the balance of that. I mean, I think uh, you know, I, I, I think we'll see good con- contests. Um, interesting. I had a good chat to Chris Pollock, who coaches the, um, who's the professional referee coach, and you know, there's a number of key drivers they've got this year to try and, you know, as as always, create some space in the game and speed the game up. So I think we should look for that as well. Um, setting of scrums is the intent is to, for that to be done quicker, um, more intent about line-outs. They're trying to play, uh, want the game to be played with a little bit more speed and, and, and a little bit more space. So they're going to work hard on that. So you may see once again that the, the players... I mean, a lot of this comes down to attitude to me, Smithy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to think they're going out there... You know, I, I just remember last year when they played the Trans-Tasman, right? They went over there and because they went in search of bonus points because they thought they needed them, the New Zealand team's to make the final, all of a sudden we started to seeing a lot more open affairs. I'm, I'm hoping that we start on that on that vein where the player, the teams go out and rather than every game being a test match, it's uh, or let's get ourselves and, and let's really show our attacking prowess. And I know the referees are, are, are definitely on board with that. Well, that's great news to hear, Jeff. Look, you mentioned before about uh, Ian Foster and his group keeping an eye on uh, of this competition. It, it, um, very, very closely for uh, the, those players on the fringe, etc., that they might look to include. Uh, Jeff, uh, last we heard about uh, 
the All Black Selection Group as such, or coaching group, they were going into a review system. We've heard nothing from that. Have you heard anything, uh, any likely changes or uh, or anything come out of that particular review as such, they called it? Look, there's no doubt there's been plenty of discussion. I don't think anything has been definitively um, decided on the back end of it, and I'm not even 100% sure it's um, finished. I mean, I think in some ways, uh, I think they came back to New Zealand and have been given the benefit of time, and I know that's a hard one, but after spending that much time on the road last year, look, I think it's a really hard one, isn't it, given and what they went through last last season, and, and at the back end of it, they just they just looked as though they'd come to the end of it. And I know on those end-of-year tours, that's sometimes how it can feel, and it certainly looked that, like that. And we came up against a couple of really good sides, but we haven't heard anything definitive from New Zealand rugby, particularly around the confirmation of those coaches, the, the support coaches. We know Ian Foster is going through until um, to, uh, the next World Cup. And so it'll be very, very interesting to see when all that comes together, right, and, and when those decisions are finalised. And, and, you know, I would be surprised... If they made significant changes, we're getting very, very close now. You know, um, you know, in 18 months' time, we're going to be heading to France, and we need to be prepared and ready. And I think those question marks, if they haven't asked and, and, and had them answered by now, um, because, look, if you think, if they're trying to find new coaches, all the Super Rugby coaches are signed up, right? They're done. I mean, they're, they're committed to campaigns. Um, so the, the, one, the one big question mark, well, well, we all want to know is what impact Joe Smith's going to have, right? Um, yep. The fact that he's coming into their environment, you know, as a as a selector, I get a sense he's going to be more than that, though. I get a sense that, you know, he's going to offer more than just being sitting on, you know, a, a selection panel and debate. You know, I, I think he's a rugby coach. I think he wants to have input, um, and I wouldn't surprise if you don't see that input at the Blues before it then becomes input at the All Blacks. Yeah. I tend to agree with it. It's just too valuable a commodity not to get the most out of. Um, Barnes, he's got his competition. Uh, he's got his desire. Yeah. The NPC changes, and she's all in. Jeff, she's all in. What do you make of the the new look? Hey, mate, we've all got what we wanted, right? You wanted it, I wanted yep. it. I mean, the quality of rugby that Hawks Bay played last year, the fact that the Otago have been in the playoffs for a number of years in the championships, and the championship, to get ourselves back to what we could have, which is a true national champion on any given year, is, is 100% the right decision. Uh, to the New Zealand rugby's credit, they've listened, right? They've listened to everybody and said, look, this, this is not something there's an appetite for, watching two divisions when you're watching a quality side that's just put themselves together beautifully that, that Taranaki did last year, and they don't get a chance to play off for the big title. We're there. I'm excited about it. Yep, I know it's not a true round robin, but the seedings will you know, give um, teams an opportunity. And now, quarterfinals. Means you, you know that, that if you're in the race for the eighth spot, you've got a shot, you've got a chance. You know, um, you've got to win three games in a row. And for me, that that uh, I think that's going to reinvigorate uh, the NPC. And and what we have seen too is you've seen players over the last number of years they've gone back from their super bases because the financial rewards become less. They've gone back to their provinces, and that strengthened the competition across New Zealand. And so all of a sudden. Mm. It's a, I think it's a lot more even, and teams have got opportunities to um, to improve and, and, and get better. So I think that's why this is the right move. We've got a competition where not not 14 teams can win because that's not how professional sport works. That's not how you know. There's no competition in the world where every team can win. 
you know, it just doesn't happen like that. But there is significantly more teams right now. And the NPC, yes, Smithy, I'm telling you, uh, I know you'll be excited for Hawks Bay. I'm excited for Otago to be back in the, the running. And I think at the back end of the competition, there'll be a hell of a lot of excitement. Love your enthusiasm, Jeff. Always do. Um, and your input as well. So thanks for your time this morning. All eyes on uh, Moana Pacifica tonight and uh, a nice positive uh, start. No points at stake, but uh, a bit of momentum perhaps they can gain going into the season. Hey, cheers, mate. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Look forward to it. Cheers, mate. Che- cheers, boy. It's uh, Jeff Wilson. Of course, um, numero uno at Sky when it comes to um, hosting and reviewing. Uh, and commentating as well, uh, very much to the forefront there. So uh, great to hear from uh, Jeff Wilson. You can, he's the kind of guy, Jeff Wilson, you can interview for an hour because then we moved to cricket, uh, and then then we moved to basketball, uh, and then we, we moved to whatever else because uh, he's got such a great all-round knowledge of, of everything. But uh, what I like about Jeff Wilson is you can hear it all the time. It's that the verve. Uh, he's got the energy for it. Great, absolutely great. Right, uh, have we got some energy out there today? Double eight, double three. Double eight, double three is our text number. What do you think of this uh, new MPC competition? We've all, all got to show our true colours here. Do you like it? Do you like uh, the fact that we're all in together here or mostly in together? There's a few crossover games. Um, do you like that? Uh, what are you expecting perhaps out of Moana Pacifica? Um, you know, their first hit out tonight. We'll get some clues maybe, some brief clues anyway. Uh, what are you expecting from them in their first season? There's uh, a couple of subjects to get it started for today. Double eight, double three. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. And it's uh, 9.29 coming up to the news. Uh, with Geordie Barrett to come into the midfield for the Hurricanes. Could be the answer for the ABs later in the year, uh, says Trent. Keep an eye on that. Uh, Ken says Smithy would have preferred round robin every uh, everyone plays everyone in the top eight in the quarters, but this might work. Let's hope so, Ken. Uh, John, uh, Zade's come in and said, what about the opening ceremony for the Winter Olympics? Any details? Yeah, it'll be a late one uh, here in New Zealand, 12.55am. So that's 5 to 1 in the morning tomorrow, uh, live from Beijing, and that is on Sky Sport Channel 54. So I think local time, that is about 8pm in Beijing, and it goes for two hours, Smithy. So I don't know about you and opening ceremonies, they don't really get me going. I won't be staying up till 1am to watch it. Don't think I will either, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and that means I'll probably won't be seeing Finn Villas or Alice Robinson uh, be our flag bearers, John. Yeah, that is cool that probably won't. they're doing that. Um, but yep. a tiny team, I think there's only about three athletes with them as well. It's just the way it is these days, Smithy, with um, athletes arriving late or close to when they actually compete. And then Zoe's competing on Saturday, so she doesn't want to go to a opening ceremony the night before she competes. So it'll be a tiny little New Zealand contingent. Um, I'll be proud to see them, though, when I wake up on Saturday morning when I watch some highlights. Yep, absolutely. Will do. Uh, 9.30 here on SENZ, News Time with Karen. here on SCNZ in the mornings uh, and the Winter Olympics opening ceremony takes place uh, in the early hours of uh, tomorrow morning we are told Uh, in Beijing before the New Zealand team gets underway tomorrow with Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott in the snowboard slope style style. it's uh, 
It's something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, these Winter Olympics, I, I think, are going to get a lot of high profile. Uh, and one of the reasons why is I think we've got some very, very, very solid gold medal chances. And uh, Zoe, of course, is one of them. And joining us uh, now from back here in New Zealand, Zoe's dad, Sean Sinnott. Good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining us here. Yeah, hi there, Smithy. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. And I, I imagine you are too and pretty excited about uh, the prospect uh, of watching Zoe. She's uh, in pretty good form. Yeah, she's um, definitely done everything she needed to do to sort of get get there this <laughs> year. Um, pretty impressed with uh, the media coverage. That's um, and uh, a little bit <laughs> a little bit scared that the expectations are so high on on, on the outcome. But um, she's she's going to uh, go out there and do her best. Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, I, I look at it um, as a, not a very well informed. Um, snow style or slope style watcher, snowboard watcher. Sean, I've got to be honest with you, I'm going to be uh, more informed in the next few days, I can promise you that. Uh, but I, I look at form, uh, and the X Games form has been outstanding, so the signs are good, put it that way. Yeah, the, the signs are very good. I, I loved the uh, TVNZ introduction to the interview the other earlier in the week. Um, they pretty well summed it up with those... Uh, with those mountains showing uh, the number of podiums that she's had. And uh, I don't think she has not ended up on the podium since uh, the uh, start of the 2021 season. So um, we're, you know, in awe of her. They did miss out on uh, two real real key uh, events, which were natural selection, where she won the gold at Jackson Hole, which is a crossover between uh, the slope and uh, slope style competition and uh, free ride type, you know, backcountry riding. Um, but yeah, she's just uh, she's done everything she, she she's needed to do, including keeping her nose clean <laughs> as she's been travelling around. So, Sean, where where will uh, where will you be watching and, and who with? Uh, we'll be watching it at uh, the NZHQ. Um, set up in uh, at the Cadrona uh, Valley at a place called Apre, um, where the Olympic Committee have set up, uh, you know, a, 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 a venue for uh, for supporters, and we'll be there with the family and uh, probably Nico's parents and Tian's parents and uh, all the friends from school. I hope. Uh, it's going to be uh, a fantastic occasion for you, uh, regardless. Anyway, just to get together and. And all those families, because of course the Porteous family have uh, got a vested interest in what's going on here too. Uh, how recently have you been talking to uh, Zoe? And is she? Oh, she'll be in Beijing now, obviously, because she competes tomorrow. But uh, how's her introduction into the village with COVID, etc., gone? Yeah, no, it's been fine. Um, she flew through the uh, COVID testing protocols, so uh, was let out of uh, isolation about six hours or so after. Uh, arriving uh, from LA and uh, she's yeah pretty relaxed about the COVID uh, protocols because they have been in them since uh, the 2021 uh, Northern Hemisphere season uh, basically you know going through the same old same old. Mm. We've had uh, you know all of us have had kids that uh, partake in sport etc some play boring sports like cricket and rugby um, your daughter's sport is anything but but it also includes uh, a lot of risk as well because you're in the air for quite some time how do you view it 
Well, uh, we get we get a little anxious before the runs, <laughs> like anyone would, and it's but uh, the concussions are always the biggest concern. Uh, try to avoid those. Uh, you'd relate to uh, we close our eyes and and wait to hear the slap of the the board on the on the on the snow, and that sort of tells us that she's landed safely. Sounds a bit like would you? Yeah. Would would you, Sean? Would you would you normally be there, all going well? I mean, do you have you been able to follow uh, Zoe around the world? Yeah, we have. Um, we we've pretty well watched every single event uh, live. Um, but uh, being at the venues, that's uh, not an op hasn't been an option recently. We uh, did go to her first World Championships uh, when she was fifteen. That's six years, five years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I to be honest, uh, I'd rather be watching it on TV than <laughs> in the cold. <laughs> yeah, I I understand I understand that. Um, but you were there in 2018 when she won the bronze and the big year. Tell us tell us about that experience. Yeah, that was uh, pretty pretty surreal. I guess um, we she went in with no with no expectation of meddling, but. Uh, I guess an expectation of enjoying the uh, experience, and that's how we sort of took it as well. It was always it was unexpected that she was selected for the team at that time, um, and the goal was always these, these Olympics 2020. And uh, the outcome, as it was, was that she medalled, and that was a pretty amazing experience. Um, really hit home when I got a phone call from. Um, uh, John at TVNZ <laughs> after the event, they said uh, phone froze because uh, there were so many incoming texts. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean it's a it's a great story, um, and, and I, I think the Winter Olympics is going to be a great story in the next fortnight or so. It's, but but let's go back to uh, Zoe as, as a child. When, when did it all start? This this uh, desire, and it has to be a pretty strong one because the commitment has to be. Like one hundred and ten percent to go anywhere. Yeah, uh, probably started um, on a holiday we had. Uh, I can't probably when she was about ten years old. Um, she wanted to strap on a snowboard, and because uh, his brother was um, snowboarding, and we got on a snowboard. And sort of later that week, I think she there was a little mini comp going on at Whistler, and she put a put a hand up for that, and. She won the woman's uh, event, which was kind of radical, um, and I think that was it. You know, once she 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 got a prize for do, for, for doing something she loved, uh, she was set. Rad, rad, they call it radical. We're short for uh, so you know the you know the jargon, the lingo. I mean, because we're all having to learn about these uh, this uh, backside stomping, this melon grabbing, all this sort of stuff that's uh, coming into the events we're about to watch. So. Uh, you're okay with it all, I guess. Well, uh, we've had to be- become uh, a little bit uh, okay with it, but I still can't count the spins. <laughs> uh, it's uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, the jargon. The jargon is interesting, but it sort of just adds to the coolness of what they do. You know, what kind of sacrifices uh, has, uh, has has Zoe had to make compared to to normal kids? Um, you know, and I, I say run of the mill kids because she is extraordinary. And and as you as a family, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is it's a hell of a costly thing. 
Yeah, no, it definitely uh, was a, uh, you know, it was an investment and, um, and yes, it was, I, I guess, uh, yep, very costly. Mum, you know, mum probably uh, took a few years off her life uh, having to get up at five o'clock every morning and get her up the mountain. <laughs> um, yeah, I can remember, you know, those bacon and egg muffins at 5am, whereas the kids get woken up early because of it and, uh yeah, you know, not too not too many sacrifices that you don't feel well. Nothing that you feel wasn't you know well worth it. Sean, have you been uh, surprised at the level of support now um, for the snowboard team for, for Zoe in particular ahead of the weekend? Have you have you sensed a real level uh, perhaps that we haven't seen before? Yeah, look, we we were we were in Beijing, uh, sorry, in uh, Pyeongchang for the last Olympics, so we didn't see the coverage that was going on for the Winter Olympics here. But we did the previous cycle, and really, it's just been overwhelming to see the uh, level of coverage in media and the support uh, for Zoe and the rest of the team. I mean, we've got an outstanding group of athletes, out, and uh, any one of them could medal. Um, and I. I hope quite a number of do. Um, we obviously have some of this, but uh, yeah, the, the one that I think we should all be watching is Nico Porteous because uh, he's got the most riskiest job of all in that half pipe. I think uh, we'll be watching all of them with interest, but uh, initially we'll be watching uh, your daughter Zoe. So uh, thanks very much for the insight, Sean, uh, a little bit behind the scenes there. Um, enjoy your time in the fan zone with uh, the rest of the families as well. Um, it's going to be uh, a great time for you. I'm absolutely confident of that. Thanks for your time this morning. Go well. Thanks, Matty. Bye. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Sean Sinnott there, folks, uh, father of Zoe. Sadowski Sinnott, who uh, is uh, perhaps our earliest chance of uh, something very special in the Beijing Winter Olympics, just around the corner now. Uh, 9.43 here on SENZ. What do you think? of the new concept of the NPC. Do you like it? Do you think uh, all teams have an even chance? Um, does, it, uh, does it interest you any more than this year's competition? Well, last year's competition, did. does it make much difference to you? Moana Pacifica tonight against the Chiefs. Uh, we'll be uh, watching that with interest on Sky just to see what level they're at. Uh, and how do you think uh, the new concept of uh, playing in Queenstown now and Dunedin at this stage with those long bus, bus trips is going to go. So, bit of a rugby forum this morning. Double eight, double three. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 9.49 here uh, on SCNZ. And John, I was running my eyes yesterday over the uh, initial changes anyway in uh, the systems uh, that the government are introduced, this five-step way of getting back into New Zealand, etc., being biased towards sport, I was looking at it and thinking, well, that's encouraging because it means uh, that our teams might be able to come back and play and the teams like the Warriors, etc., would get some home games. But I'm not quite sure that is going to be the case because the way I look at it, uh, even if you're coming home, um, then you, uh, of course, have to quarantine. Uh, and the, uh, I, I don't sort of see any bright lights, put it that way, in, in what I've in terms of our sporting people. No, which is a shame, really. First thing I thought as well, Smithy, I was like, oh, we'll get in touch with the Warriors. They'll be able to come home and play. And it doesn't seem that way at all. Uh, sure, they can get home uh, without really having to do that big stint in MIQ. 
but they still have to what, isolate at home. And then if they wanted to play some Australians, uh, they just can't pop over the ditch yet, can they? Uh, they have to be New Zealand citizens. So it's not quite jumping from the rooftops yet. Uh, I don't think we'll see the Warriors at Mount Smart this year again. Smithy. Uh, so I think October's really the time where the borders actually open up properly to the whole world uh, and we can get on with things. But by October, that's finals time. Normally when the Warriors aren't playing anyway. Um, but they can come straight home at least. At least they know that they don't have to book a, a spot in MIQ and they won't be stranded in Australia like some of their staff were last year. Remember that? For like months at the end of the season, they couldn't get home for Christmas. So at least that worry is taken off the table, Smithy. And it's good for the likes of Tom Walsh, of course, who's shown concern over it. Ryan Fox, who's shown concern uh, over it. Um, You know, the Courtney Duncans of the world that uh, have uh, tried to play uh, their particular trades and have done it very successfully overseas, but uh, with no... Um, lure or no incentive to be able to come home and celebrate with people but now it seems under this particular um, branding or what's the word I'm looking for the step program anyway uh, that this is this is going to be more likely yeah and I think a lot of uh, teams didn't want to really celebrate the announcements yesterday because they've kind of heard it all before like you know the way how many homecomings have the Warriors planned for Mount Smart only for it to be taken off the table from them or snatched away from them so it's almost like they're protecting themselves from getting too excited because every time they do uh, it must be so deflating when you've got your eyes on a carrot, you're like, oh, we'll get through this and we can be back home playing at Mount Smart and then it's taken away. Must be absolutely devastating. So I think they're just sticking to their, we're here for the season, we've got a good base, we're well set, we'll just pretend we're Australian for another year and 2023 looks like the year of the Warriors. It's their year next year, it looks like, Smithy. Yeah, and what does my pillow feel like? That's what I'd be thinking. Uh, what is it, my home, my pillow at home, what does it feel like? Uh, ref, uh, a couple of texts come in. Uh, Richie said, uh, reference to the Winter Olympics. I don't care what sport it is. If they're representing New Zealand and achieving on the world stage, they make me so proud, Richie. You're going to have a lot of pride, I think, in the next week or two. Uh, Dave from Karaka came in and said, uh, Morning, Smithy. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, rugby season upon us. Fantastic Blues to win Super and NPC. Can't wait. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, and he also said, uh, keep those multis coming. Well, we'll try very shortly here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we were waiting on a number of results yesterday, particularly in uh, World Cup qualifying football matches uh, in the Americas, uh, and they all came to fruition. So, yes, uh, Mexico beat Panama 1-0. The USA beat Honduras, and Canada beat El Salvador. So both multis over the last two days have come in as a result of that. $3.91 on top of $5.95. So if you got those, well done. Uh, We're actually 8-7 and in the count this, uh, this new year, so... If you put 10 bucks on each of them, you're well ahead. If you put 100 on each of them, um, you know where I drink. Uh, Northern Brave versus uh, Auckland today. Northern Brave versus Auckland Ford Trophy. I'll take the Brave at $1.75. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, my trusty basketball team, I think uh, they are genuine. They've got feeling. Uh, they've got the players, and they like to win. 
and I'm not sure about the other sides. $1.54, Manchester United to beat Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. $1.30, Melbourne City over the weekend to beat Perth Glory at a buck forty. And uh, my one to add value comes out of French football, Strasbourg to beat Nantes at $1.72. And that will uh, realise $8.44. Yep, $8.44. Ah, no, uh, it's uh, 9.59 here on SENZ. Uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, John and I are going to be dis- discussing a few cricketing issues, but we invite you to join in. 0800 if uh, you've got something to, to come in on. The Black Caps, the White Ferns selection. What about that surprise leaving Lee Kasparik out? Um, what about uh, Justin Langer? Should he keep his job today? Uh, he's won the Ashes. Uh, he's done some incredible things. He's won the T20 World Cup. My understanding is he's under pressure to keep his job. Silverwood's gone from uh, England's camp. And, of course, Ashley Giles has gone as well. So uh, those are the issues we'll be talking about, and we'd love your input. 0800 150 811, we welcome it. Coming up 10 o'clock here on SENZ, uh, and uh, we will very shortly have some news with Karen. That don't look to us. Phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust. London calling, see, we ain't got no swing. Except for the rain and the crunch of things. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in Meltdown expected, the wheat is going in Engines stuck on him, but I have no fear Cause London is drowning I live by the river To the imitation zone Well, of course, uh, the ECB, England and Wales Cricket Board is uh, home in London uh, Around Lords uh, But they won't be calling Chris Silverwood or Ashley Giles to London anymore they haven't got a calling there uh, they're out, they're gone as a result of England's woeful performance, not just in the Ashes but over the last year or so in Test Cricket in particular, uh, which is a good thing because it means that, that Test Cricket still matters to them uh, and they are really going to go about uh, making changes there and uh, who will come in I do not know uh, to be perfectly honest but they'll come in under pressure uh, they've got to find a team to be honest uh, they've got a captain who needs a team. They've got an ageing bowling attack. And uh, what happens from that point onwards, we do not know. But it's of interest to us, John, because we had three test matches uh, against England coming up uh, later this year, all going well. Uh, we've been gifted three tests on the basis that we are now uh, the world champions and people want to see us a bit more often, which is great. Uh, but England, uh, at this point, you'd have to say New Zealand would be warm, warm favourites. Yeah, and we were there just before the World Test Championship final, weren't we? And we won that two-match series 1-0. Uh, so recent experience over there. And when we have talked to any players, they've already got their eyes on that, don't they? That's almost the big carrot for this season. Um, so, yeah, what is um, the batting coach, they've still got to decide on him as well, whether he survives. So it could be a, a total clean-out. And I see Alex Stewart... An old uh, contemporary of yours, uh, used to wear the gloves a bit for England. He's keen to take over as a caretaker coach if given the opportunity. So would he be a good option? And what other options are there in English cricket? Sometimes they go for South Africans, don't they? And um, sometimes they very rarely go for their own these days, it seems. And when they do, it doesn't end too well. Well, I don't think the batting coach is going to last long, and he shouldn't because they can't bat. Uh, Here's the thing. Uh, His name is Graham Thorpe. Uh, and you might remember at the end of the uh, test match in Tasmania, uh, there was all sorts of controversy about out late drinking, etc., etc. Uh, and Graham Thorpe was involved in that. 
So I don't think that all goes well for him and his uh, interview with the respective parties concerned. So uh, the last thing you wanted to do is get into trouble off the field when your team isn't performing on the field. So a, a lot of pressure on him for, I think, just a clean sweep, a massive broom going through uh, the hierarchy of English cricket, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, John. 0800 150811 is our phone number if you want to join in on a number of these issues. Uh, so England are about to be uh, revamped, and whether they come together quickly enough to challenge New Zealand will be uh, very interesting indeed. One of the other uh, interesting things, and quite incredible, uh, is that for a lot of people in Australia, they find it hard to believe that Justin Langer's fate will be decided today uh, as to whether he will keep the job of the Australian cricket coach. Now, by world standards, if you win a world title um, not that long ago, uh, and then you come home and in the most important test series of the lot, uh, you dominate, win 4-0, possibly 5-0, you would think your job is pretty secure. You would be thinking, yep, that was what they wanted me to do. I've rebuilt the team after Sandpaper Gate, etc. Pulled it all together. Uh, we've had the issue with Tim Payne, but we've made the transition with a new captain. But it seems the new captain, Pat Cummins, is not really seriously endorsing Justin Langer, which suggests to me that there's something pretty murky going on behind the scenes in the dressing room. We got a taste of Justin Langer, didn't we, in that documentary? Uh, when they, they filmed uh, the Australian cricket team around England. And <clears throat> we got a little taste of his moods from time to time. Uh, and uh, he's obviously a very powerful force. Maybe it's too, too much. Maybe it's become too much. Yeah, he seems like an abrasive sort of character, Smithy, which Aussies love, don't they, normally? Like, you know, a bit between the teeth, you know, worlds against us, that kind of style, a little bit uh, cocky in his ways, uh, do-it-my-way sort of style, or is, does that not uh, gel well with Pat Cummins and the new direction Australian cricket told us they were heading in? Uh, I'm just not sure. Is there personality clashes here? Clearly. Clearly there are really big personality clashes, John, that, um, you know, and Australians uh, are made that way. They play hard, um, you know, they prepare hard, and they don't, you know, they don't keep quiet on adversity. Uh, as uh, a lot of other teams, particularly New Zealand teams, will just tend to just wear it uh, and just get on with it because they don't want to lose their jobs, they don't want to lose their income, etc. Australians tend to be a little bit more outspoken on the issue. So uh, we'll keep, um, keep an eye over that. The news should come through today on Justin Langer. Yeah, that's just quite amazing. Um, if New Zealand, if we won a World Cup, a T20 World Cup, and beat England 4-0, we'd be having a parade for our coach down the street. It's just a different style over there. Our coaches, it's what they say goes normally, uh, except there were rumours of Kane and Gary Stead maybe not seeing eye to eye about potential selections when it came to World Cups and Ish Sodi and that, taking him to 2019. So I guess there are butting of heads when it comes to captains and coaches, but... They sort them out in New Zealand and they seem to publicly do it in Australia and not sort it out. Yeah, it's quite right. Uh, Smithy says, Ken, why don't the English get Alistair Cook involved? One of their best test batsmen ever could do a lot worse. Uh, Sir Alistair Cook, I think he is these days, uh, if he is, and he's very close to it. Uh, look, he's, he'll be on the list. He will be on the list. They need men of, of uh, performance, men of principle, etc. Certainly I would think uh, he would be uh, quite good in terms of uh, the batting side of things, tactically, he was a, a relatively successful captain. But it might go a bit deeper, a little bit older than that. Uh, I remember back in uh, the 80s when they had trouble with um, 
not so much a poor performing England side, but a, a side that sort of lacked direction for the amount of talent that they had. Uh, they went and got themselves a fellow by the name of Mike Brearley, who was out of Test cricket for quite some time, and they brought him back in uh, because of his ability to galvanise and to lead men from the front. He wasn't the best player in England. On form, he probably didn't deserve to be in, uh, but he was a handy enough player to uh, score enough runs. But his his real strength was the ability to pull the likes and the raw talent of the Bothams, the Willises, etc., uh, the Gowers, get them in, uh, galvanise them and get them in going in the same direction. Uh, and England, I think, need a hint of that. Somewhere in their hierarchy, their pecking order, uh, it doesn't appear that Joe Root's able to do that. He certainly wasn't able to do it with this group. Uh, I don't know if Joe Root's job is under pressure as captain. I think he's an OK captain. wouldn't say he's a genius on some of the tactics we saw uh, over the last three months in Australia. I think tactically he got it completely and utterly wrong, and maybe that will be his downfall as well. Maybe the new coach, maybe the new Ashley Giles, who uh, basically is the hands-on director of coach cricket, will come in and say, we need a new direction across the board. You know, if we're going to make all these drastic changes, all these drastic changes, uh, but we leave the most powerful job of the lot in the same hands, have we really gone anywhere? Have we achieved anything? Uh, look, Broad's going to go at some stage. Anderson's going to go at some stage. I would not be surprised uh, if this is their last hurrah this home series against New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and, and they deserve to go out on a, a very, very high note, uh, as we said uh, with Ross Taylor recently. Uh, but uh, are England in a situation, uh, as opposed to New Zealand, we're comfortable with where we're at and you know our side is performing well. Are England uh, in a position now where they are able to give benefits as such? Or do they just say to Jimmy Anderson, mate, uh, we're building for the future and you know and I know you're not in it, uh, and the same to Stuart Broad to a large degree. Uh, we're looking down the track, and you ain't on that track. Uh, so big calls, some seriously big calls have to be made in England cricket, as there was John yesterday uh, with his non-selection of Lee Kasparuk. Now, when you read that team out, you said, I listened to, I knew most of those names. In fact, I know them pretty well now, um, and that's a good thing. Uh, and I thought, well, that's a side that pretty much everyone would have picked anyway. Uh, and then, of course, we got the reaction about Lee Kasparuk, particularly from John, uh, who was not happy about it, and uh, he wanted us to interview Bob Carter and say, why the hell did you not pick this girl? Look at her record. Look at her level of experience. And you've gone for Fran Jonas. Uh, yesterday I heard, I didn't hear Bob Carter himself, but I heard the story that he thought uh, by picking her, she's a left-arm spinner. Uh, that would cover all their bases in terms of bowling to right-handers and left-handers. Hmm. Uh, you weigh that up with no experience uh, for the big occasion, bowling to some very fine players and leaving out someone who's performed against those players. That is the kind of call that puts your neck on the line. Yeah, strikes me as someone who's done too much planning, <laughs> maybe, uh, when you delve in too deep and rather than just going, who are my best players? Who are my best 15? Who's my best spinner? Uh, outside of Mealy Kerr, and right up there actually stats-wise with Mealy Kerr, if not better. Um, I think sometimes Smithy, um, cricket especially, you're like, oh, you need a good matchup with a left-armer against a left-hander, or a left-armer takes the ball away from a right-handed batter, so you really do do your match-up homework a lot, but you kind of go past the fact that Fran Jonas has no international one-day wickets with Lee Kasparik, who has over 50 of them at an average of under 20 and an economy rate of 4. So I think sometimes you just got to 
go with a gut feel rather than what your planning is telling you about who turns the ball away from who. It's just who's your best spinner. And Lee Kasparik, it looks like it's her smithy for the last not just season but seasons on end. Well, I also look at it this way. What have we been discussing with the Black Caps for this part of the season anyway? is uh, the fact that we haven't got room for a guy who can get 10 wickets in innings in India, Ajaz Patel. So all of a sudden we're talking about having spin options uh, of all sorts on pitches that don't spin. Do our pitches spin all of a sudden? Uh, what she also is, Lee Casper, is a very, very experienced slow bowler. Slow bowler, taking the pace out of the game. Flight, guile, that sort of thing. Uh, Mitchell Santner stuff, Dan Vittori stuff. Not prodigious spin. I don't think prodigious spinner is going to win the World Cup for New Zealand. It's our ability to defend, bowl tightly, uh, and to score runs. I don't think we're going to spin anyone out to win the World Cup. I'm not sure anyone will uh, yeah. in New Zealand conditions. We know that. Uh, so why don't you just go for the experience in the slow bowling area? Uh, Fran Jonas, uh, I wish you all the best, but that is uh, Ken Rutherford opening the batting in the West Indies one for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that didn't turn out too well for Paul Keane, did it? Uh, that's a tough introduction, absolutely, for Fran. And I can tell you, Smithy, um, there is Plunkett Shield action almost underway here in Auckland uh, on Eden Park's Outer Oval. Of course, you can't go, but it's right by the road there, uh, by the mobile. So I'm sure if you're walking past the fence, they can't tell you to go anywhere. Uh, but the Auckland Aces have won the toss and they've elected to bowl. So that means Cole Jamison will be uh, running in for Auckland. Uh, they have named their team as well, Worker Guptill, Chapman, Phillips. Big four-day match this for Phillips. If he can score some runs, could find himself in the test team when they name it on Tuesday next week. For South Africa, uh, there's also uh, O'Donnell, Horn, Jamison, Solia, Somerville. Uh, to Brock and Lister, and on the Northern District side of things, they're opening up with Raval and Cooper, uh, who someone yesterday uh, said could be a bolter potentially for the Black Caps as they're looking for batsmen. Uh, Clark, Cartney Clark, who played so well for them in the Super Smash final. Uh, Joe Carter, the captain. Tim Seifert, Colin de Gronholm, Mitchell Santner, Tim Southey, uh, Randall, Wagner, and Walker. So some bloody good cricketers on show, Smithy. Unfortunately, no one can actually go into the ground to watch them. But that starts at 10.30 this morning with Auckland bowling against Northern. And that, folks, was part of the multi, remember? So we're going to have to be patient for that one. It's a four-day game. Uh, but that's the first ticket on the multi at $1.75 backing. Uh, the Northern Braves, a very important game. Um, not so much a trial match, uh, but also, uh, I think, a confidence-building match for Jameson in particular. Um, and also for Phillips, if Phillips was uh, able to get 100 uh, in that match, I think his name would go pretty much close to uh, the top of the pecking order in terms of uh, replacement for Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson in that group. So uh, that's what New Zealand selectors will be, be hoping for out of that particular matchup. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be watching that very, very closely. Uh, the panel time now here on SENZ, uh, and we have got Mark Hinton in this morning. Uh, and David Worsley. So uh, plenty of subjects for them to cover too. Uh, a little bit of rugby, uh, a little bit of Winter Olympics, still a little bit of tennis on the mind uh, as well. And uh, Langer, what about Justin Langer as well? Opinions are plenty coming up here on SENZ. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk to me, yeah. 
10.23 here on SENZ on this, uh, your Friday morning heading into uh, a long weekend for some anyway. Uh, and it's uh, a panel that consists of Mark Hinton and Dave Worsley this morning. Uh, good morning to you, gentlemen. Uh, Mark, I'd love to start with you. Uh, looking forward to Moana Pacifica tonight uh, with their warm-up game against uh, the Chiefs. Of course, money can be raised for relief in, in Tonga uh, around this game. Um, but yes, our first little taste of uh, what uh, a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. Yeah, it seems uh, a bit strange, doesn't it, Smithy? The rugby season getting underway while we're sweltering in 30 degree temperatures and one of our great summers. But uh, that is the uh, that is the lot of professional rugby. It starts seems to start earlier and earlier. It is always February these days, of course. But uh, yeah, it's upon us, and the I think yeah, pre-season is going to be interesting. For me, much more so than usual, because I'm not a big fan of pre-season. In terms of, in terms of, um, I guess relevance, pre-season rugby is 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 really nothing but an exercise in getting bodies ready for the main event, and results and mean nothing. And it's really all about getting people through, you know, unscathed, isn't it, to the start line? But this year, Smithy, I think it's, you know, we're going to be watching a bit closer, aren't we? Because we've got a new team in Moana Pacifica based in Auckland made up of, uh, you know, largely Pacific uh, Island rugby players and what a wonderful um, concept it is. How will they fare? You know, we just don't know anything about them. So, you know, it's going to be a big couple of weeks for them as they get ready for the season. And also, cross town with the Blues, our old mates at the Blues there, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, I think there's a lot of interest in him. So, so I think more than usual, Smithy, normally I ignore pre-season the rugby other than just to take a note of injury, but this year I think I'm going to be watching the Blues and Moana Pacifica in particular to see how they go ahead of the real stuff in a few weeks' time. Good stuff, Mark. Uh, Dave Worsley, uh, do we have the right to expect good things out of Moana Pacifica? I think we have the right to expect um, you know, some good things. There's a lot of very good players there, but I mean, pre-season at the moment tells us nothing but injures plenty. That's the key thing is, you know, we count up the injuries. Which team is going to get the most injuries that actually count before the season starts? And that's the difficult thing of pre-season in any sport, particularly a physical sport, is which team can afford to have injuries, which team's got the depth, and which teams can't afford to have injuries. And that could be Moana Pacifica. It's got plenty of good players, but does it have the depth in the positions that count? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I, I really do, and, and that could be exposed because uh, we all know the attrition rate uh, across these vast squads, and um, particularly uh, early on, Dave, uh, we talked yesterday to a couple of administrators, uh, because of the bubble system in uh, Queenstown, they're not going to have that depth. Uh, they're going to have uh, trim squads, trim backup staff and everything. What, what do you make of this uh, first month concept of, of playing in uh, Dunedin now and Queenstown? Yeah, I mean, it makes, it makes sense for the, for the first month. I mean, it, we are going to get super rugby, but like uh, last year when we sort of had a couple of comps, sort of, and not, and then maybe, this is what's going to happen in sport for most of this year. Hopefully things settle down. But I mean, look, you know, let's, the new normal, I hate the word normal because I'm not, um, but you know, we, we are not going to have what we've had in the past. So let's be ready to adjust all the time. I mean, it's, it's annoying, it's costly at times, and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a shame to see 
you know, Moana Pacifica against the Blues in the first round when we get to that, and it's going to be in Dunners, I think, or, or Wakatipu Rugby Club. It's not quite what we're expecting. I kind of think, Mark, that in all honesty, even though you're not going to get any fans there, it'll be an expensive uh, uh, exercise, uh, opening up the stadium, etc., for uh, no people, apart from the players, etc., but I, I kind of think that um, in a controlled environment, uh, at the end of a long bus trip, at least you know the conditions you're going to get in Dunedin. I think that was the right call over in Vicargill. Oh, absolutely. Beautiful, vibrant, exhilarating Dunedin or, or in Vicargill. Yeah, <laughs> a no-brainer, really. Look, I, I understand that decision was made by the players, um, and, and you can't blame them. You know, that facility there under that roof, they know, they know what they're going to get. It's a really good setup. It's, a, it's an hour longer on the bus in Queenstown. Uh, I think that's a price the players were prepared to pay for, you know, a better setup, better conditions, and uh, 100% certain you know, conditions to play under. So the players led that, and, uh, and um, yeah, it makes sense. I think the product's going to look better in Dunedin than it would have been a, a, a regular old rugby park in, in the cargo. So, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I can't help think, Smithy, isn't it a little bit of an overreaction? At this time when the world seems to be moving towards everything sort of living with the virus, as it were, they've gone into this bubble, which seems like a, a, an old concept. But I think, you know, they've probably been once bitten, twice shy in terms of things, in terms of the rugby, uh, the guys making decisions at HQ. They're being overcautious, aren't they? Putting everyone into a bubble at a time when I think we're, we're taking an approach of almost living with this virus now. But they just, I don't think they they can, in a tight time frame, can afford to have the competition delayed a week or two. It's going to um, cause undue havoc. So I think they've taken an overcautious approach. It's a bit disappointing. We're not going to see those sort of, um, uh, you know, those, those big matches early on played in front of fans and played in front of um, home venues. But it is what it is. And as, as, as we've all learned to, for the last two or three years, we, uh, we adjust when we move on. Well, you're preaching to the converted there, Mark, but uh, I, I guess you probably knew that anyway. But hey, hey look, uh, and you can continue to preach to uh, the converted too uh, after uh, the news. Uh, stay with us, uh, Dave Worsley, Mark Hinton, the panel this morning. Uh, but here's Karen with uh, the update on what's going on around the country. The panel. Our panellists this morning are Mark Hinton uh, and Dave Worsley. Uh, Dave Worsley, tennis uh, news has come through. Roger Federer, who's uh, been out of the game for quite some time, is to team up with uh, Rafael Nadal, who hasn't, of course, for the Labour Cup. Tell us a wee bit about this. Well, yeah, the Labour Cup competition, it's uh, like the President's Cup or things like that in, uh, in uh, not Ryder Cup, in golf. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, Federer and Nadal uh, who have teamed up together to coach and potentially play, although I doubt that Federer will play. By the time the competition is held in London in September, Federer will be 41. Uh, so they coached each, uh, well, not each other, they coached last time with Bjorn Borg there. Borg just sort of wandered away as Federer and Nadal got stuck into Fabio Fognini, one of the players. And it was just, a, it was a great audio clip and video clip because you're just hearing these two greats tell Fognini, no, do this, do this, do this. It's fantastic. So it's just great. People love, even if they're not playing, seeing them by the side of the court as the uh, European team takes on the United States. 
I look forward to that, um, but I, I also look forward to see. In all honesty, Dave, um, we haven't really spoken to you post Nadal, but um, are we going to see the big three and a, a major together again? Uh, in all honest, in your honest opinion, I don't believe that Federer. He said that he's not sure. He won't know until March as to whether he'll play again uh, or when he'll play again, which is basically an if yeah. uh, this year. Uh, of course, he'll aim for Wimbledon because it takes less out of his body. He made the quarterfinals last year. Probably should have beaten uh, his uh, Polish opponent in the quarters, but his body was uh, failing it. You know, like I said, he'll be 41 in uh, August. Yeah, I, I doubt it. Wimbledon's his only real chance. I doubt that he'd try and make the US Open. The hard courts will hammer him, plus the humidity in New York as well. Yeah, I, I don't think we will. Uh, Djokovic, he will turn up again uh, at a Grand Slam. He's going to be playing Dubai uh, in a couple of weeks, but he will turn up in a Grand Slam. There's no way that he wants to let Nadal run away with the record. Hey, Mark, um, what about this, uh, I'm going to call it Barnsley's NPC now. I know it's sponsored by um, Bunnings, but uh, Barnsley's concept has uh, finally got through by the sound of it. He's a happy man. Taranaki is a, are a happy bunch. Uh, are you a happy man with uh, this new version of provincial rugby? Yeah, look, it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, we've kind of got our heads around, I guess, the championship and the premiership, but it seems strange, two competitions within one, didn't it, playing out while they were sort of playing each other. Now we've got a much simpler uh, concept, 14 teams going for one title, uh, expanded playoffs are going to be quarterfinals. Um, I think it all makes sense, Smithy. Um, there's a lot of parity in provincial rugby now. I mean, the days of the being sort of the top seven, modern seven, has kind of gone, you know, the... You know, right down that competition, you can you see teams challenge teams from the championship were challenging the premiership on a regular basis. So it makes a lot of sense. I think the players wanted it. I think the provincial unions wanted it. They all go in. They can play in a couple of conferences now, uh, which has kind of been randomly selected. I think based on last year's finishing finishing positions, and they're all going to go for one title. So I think. You know, the message we continually get around these competitions is less is best and go simple, you know. Have a, have a format that people understand and people are going to understand this. 14 teams going for one title and Taranaki uh, are in the big, are back in the big time even though they didn't get their wish uh, at the end of last year. So well done to the Naki. They got, they got what they wanted and um, I think New Zealand provinces got what they wanted. We've got 14 teams going for that one, one big trophy now. Yeah, I tend to agree, and uh, quarterfinals I like too, the playoff action, so you're going to get quarters, semis, final, you're going to staring down the barrel of three weekends of really important playoff action, so I think uh, that'll be a, a really good climax to the season. Dave, uh, imagine this, you're the Davis Cup captain for Australia, you win the Davis Cup, uh, that's your one job, is to bring glory to teams, team tennis, uh, and uh, the following week you lose your job. Uh, that's what Justin Lang is looking at in terms of cricket, uh, he's won the Ashes convincingly. He won the T20 World Cup. He regalvanised the side that was in total disarray um, because of Sandpaper Gate, etc. Uh, and it looks, for all intents and purposes, he may well lose his job this afternoon or really next week. Yeah, but isn't the uh, cricket uh, men's cricket job in Australia more important and tougher than being the uh, Prime Minister of Australia? Although that's not difficult when you're up against Scott Morrison. But that, that's the thing. It's, it's a tough job there. Yes, winning is good, but winning and the way you win and what goes on behind the scenes is important now. 
So it's not just in the past where it's been winning, we don't give a toss what you do off the field or behind the scenes. Now there is winning and how you actually operate behind the scenes. And I think that's what's uh, counting now in just about every sport. You can be the tough old bastard, as we've seen in rowing and as we've seen in other sports as well, but you still actually have to operate as a person. And that's a big tough one there for a lot of coaches because they struggle with that sometimes. Mm. It's a, it is a tough one. And uh, whilst we see Silverwood, uh, Chris Silverwood is gone, uh, we've seen Ashley Giles gone, Mark, out of the English setup. Uh, I think we'll see Graham Thorpe go in the next few days. That is a clean out. Did Australia need one? Uh, are we missing something clearly behind the scenes here? Yeah, I think we asked Madeen. It's that old um, concept that we, we hear a lot of in sport player power, isn't it? Clearly, Justin Langer. Um, doesn't have the backing of uh, particularly the senior players in the Australian setup. It's been notable that both Pat Cummins and Aaron Finch, who captained the Test and One Day teams respectively, have failed to publicly endorse um, Langer in recent times. I mean, you know, they've chosen their words carefully, but at the end of the day, they haven't come out and said, this guy needs to be reappointed. Look at the success we've had. They've been more cautious when you read between the lines. There is certainly resistance amongst the players. Look, Lang is, as you know, Smithy, Lang has been accused of being a micromanager. He's got an, you know, quite an intense and volatile kind of personality and can rub people up the wrong way. He says he's changed, but clearly uh, the players aren't as convinced. I think this is more about um, interpersonal relationships within the intense white-eyed environment of the squad more than it is about what he's achieved because his achievements have been absolutely spectacular. They were one wicket away from having a 5-0 clean sweep in the ashes. And, for you know, for, it's almost, as you touched on, Smithy, it's almost unthinkable that he isn't, hasn't been extended. But the fact that he hasn't tells you that player power still means a lot in Australian cricket. It sure does. Uh, and I think he's going to be the loser. Um, when they, whenever the decision is made, I think the meeting is today. They'll decide his fate today. Uh, would he even bother um, reapplying for his job if, he's, if that's uh, what they're going to tell him to do? Uh, pride might get, get in the way there. Uh, Dave, uh, I kind of fancy you. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say you're going to be a Winter Olympics et- expert, but if it came to après ski, I would think you'd be right there at the front of the list, in the front of the log fire uh, with a cool glass of something. So uh, Winter Olympics for you coming up. Uh, excited about the prospect? There's some scary images you're putting in there, uh, Nidhi, but uh, yeah, we won't go any further than what you're probably going to take it. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the Winter Olympics, and I've uh, followed um, the, the athletes quite strongly. Zoe, Zoe Sadowski's Senate, always an interesting one to say in a um, sports bulletin. She's fantastic to deal with. She's just an absolute delight, as a lot of the other people are in the team as well. Yeah, I'll be following uh, what I can. There's some crazy-ass... Uh, events where you basically, I mean, who wants to slide down at 200 k's face first down a very narrow, um, I don't know, what do you call it? Even, you know, and I've seen people, well, there was someone who died at the Winter Olympics when they were doing the uh, skeleton, which is you know, a good name for it. I, I love it you know, in, in that sense. Um, it's just kind of uh, always interesting that at uh, Beijing they've got to make fake snow. Yeah, <laughs> fake snow and uh, put it on top of fake hills, yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, uh, thanks for that, uh, Dave. But, um, and for you, Mark, uh, Winter Olympics uh, every now and then throws up some interesting stories. Jamaican bobsled team, Eddie the Eagle. Uh, but I think this time it's very, much more serious because we're big chances in a lot of things. 
Yeah, New Zealand's won um, three um, Winter Olympic medals in our history, and there's every chance we could we could double that total at this one Olympics and and bring back our first gold. As Dave touched on, snowboarder Zoe Sadowski Sinnott is um, right up there in, in her um, events, as is free skier Nico Porteous, and of course Alice Robinson uh, uh, in the um, Alpine events is very, very good and right at the top end of her field. So, uh, yeah, I think for the first time, New Zealanders kind of will watch this event with, with a little bit of hope and a little bit of expectation, which is fun, and that's part of the... I guess the changing face of New Zealand sport, these um, youngsters who compete in these kind of X Games style events are really coming to the fore. And, and I think I'd love to see New Zealand get on board. The other thing I'm looking for, Smithy, given that the, the Winter Olympics are in China and given the IOC's um, kind of starts on, on um, money over anything else that seems to be important in life, just whether um, the athletes are prepared to make political statements during these um, Winter Olympics and what extent they'll go to is going to be really interesting, as you say. Stories always pop up, and I think watch the space at these Olympics. There's a lot of people, um, you know, probably have a bit to say around China and some of their policies and, and also the IOC. So, yeah, it will be entertaining. It'll be entertaining on the fake snow and entertaining off it. And, uh, and I think for the first time, New Zealanders might really, um, might really just wallow in an event that we start to identify with. Thanks very much, uh, Mark Kenton, for your opinions this morning. And to you too, Dave Worsley. Yeah, yeah certainly. A lot of interest in the Winter Olympics. A big story coming up in the next fortnight. Thanks, guys. Uh, we'll have another panel on Monday, hopefully. And of course, it's Waitangi Day, uh, New Zealand Day. And uh, we'll have an extended show for you uh, between 10 and 2, uh, our little group. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, 10.43 here on SENZ. And we have some text to relay back to you after this. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. There's a number of texts that have come in. Of course, um, you can uh, live stream, according to Ken, you can live stream the Plunkett Shield match between uh, Northern Districts and uh, Auckland, which is being played on the Outer Oval uh, at Eden Park. And JD has come in and said, is the Outer Oval an ideal ground for four-day cricket? No, it's not. Um, sometimes um, you have to really make a, a wicket that does plenty because otherwise you've got those boundaries there which make it so uh, so batting-friendly, to be fair. So... Uh, and surprisingly too, uh, when you do have small grounds, and Pukakura Park has been one at New Plymouth over the years, um, <coughs> you do get this, uh, this um, feeling that they're gonna, it's going to be a large scoring affair. Often it isn't. Often it isn't for some reason. Uh, batsmen, and, I've noticed in the past, batsmen see short boundaries and therefore they, they try to invent things to get to those short boundaries perhaps sooner than they should. Um, so I, I just I kind of I think it, it might balance out. So we'll just see how this uh, pitch plays, JD, but I get your point. Uh, that it can, uh, it cannot be a, a that suitable ground. Certainly, it's aesthetically. I, I don't think it is. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm not sure I ever really enjoyed playing on uh, Eden Park Number Two back in the heyday. Uh, Scott from Invercargill has come in and said, "I take offence to Mark saying Dunedin is a more exciting and vibrant city than Invercargill. Has he ever been here?" Uh, well, I, I think uh, to be fair, uh, Mark was uh, is a Dunedin person. Uh, Mark Hinton. So, uh, yep, he's been there. In a time, though, where players' welfare seems to be most important, I can't see how a four-hour bus trip each way to Dunedin compared to two and a half to Invercargill is for the players' benefit. 
That's an interesting point of view. Um, uh, and when you double it, because they've got to get there and get back, you're looking at eight hours in the bus. Are they allowed to overnight down there? I'm not sure. That is a heck of a long day out. What time? If you finish a night game of rugby, say, John Day at, mm, what, 9.30? Hop straight in the showers, straight on the bus. Uh, you're looking at 2 o'clock minimum. Two o'clock getting home. Yeah, and tough on your bladder, Smithy. Three and a half hours in a bus when you wouldn't mind a beer after the game, especially a win. I mean, you've just got a stopping stopping left, right and centre, aren't you, just to relieve yourselves on the side of the road. So uh, dangerous in many respects. Very dangerous. Electric fences at night, not good. Not good at all. Uh, here's a good one too. It's coming uh, from uh, the cricketing point of view. Uh, Bob Carter yesterday... Couldn't articulate why, articulate why he omitted Kasparit other than saying youth is pushing the senior players and it gives the best balance to the team. Note also, no backup keeper for Jess McFadgen. Uh, yes, it is noted there are seven right-arm medium bowlers in the squad. Is, if he is a firm on a, on a balanced look, why did he not select speedster Molly Penfold to replace Tohuhu, another experienced player, but whose international form has dipped in the last two years. Australia and England respectively respect Kasparit. They'll be relieved they now only have to face a 17-year-old who has none for 79 in two one-day internationals and Mackay who appears unfit and well down on Kasparit's record. There you go. There's a genuine feeling about the selection of that White Fern squad. Uh, so we welcome your thoughts on that. More texts uh, after 11 o'clock. Uh, but we have to join up with Louis Herman Watt in the TAB uh, before 11. Uh, and then we've got uh, one of my faves after that, Lavina Good out of Beijing. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Louis HW was uh, with us this morning as uh, he always is at this time as we head into a long weekend um, uh, racing at uh, New Plymouth and Wingatui on Saturday tomorrow and Sunday at Tauranga, Louis. Yes, with the big weekend of thoroughbred action, I'm uh, looking forward to ripping in. There was some great racing last night at Alex Park in the Harness Domain, actually, um, and obviously a, a pretty monumentous night with the passing of Roy Purden. Um, yesterday, we also got the news that Murray Baker is moving on. He's he's hanging up. The what is it? What does a trainer need to hang up? Not too sure what it would be. Maybe binoculars. The, the binoculars, binoculars, the form book, whatever it may be. Um, so that was some cool news. Now, uh, racing at New Plymouth, there's some really cool races. There's a really interesting runner for me, Smithy, in the Taranaki Cup, the Group 3. The Mir, back for, and that's Mir, M-A-Y-O-R, not Mir as in the woman's sex. A uh, horse, mm. a female sex horse or woman. <laughs> the mayor, Michael McNabb, Ben Foot has some form in Australia and it's gone pretty good running kind of in the country cups, run places. So over 1,800 metres, fresh in dish for Michael McNabb, Ben Foot, $11.350. This is a really interesting runner and one to watch over the weekend for me. Okay. Um, any other little snippets? I mean, Murray Baker, because um, that's the Baker Forsman. So uh, Forsman, Andrew Forsman would at this point, just take over by himself, yeah? Yeah, he is. It's huge. So this is, this is a huge kind of um, celebratory time for Murray Baker, a Hall of Fame career, a legendary New Zealander, 21, 
or three group ones in Australia, five odd derbies. Incredible. And it's also a monumentous for Forsman. Andrew Forsman's been a great young trainer for a long time, and now he gets to take over this great barn. Awesome stuff. Okay, thanks for Louis. Uh, for that, Louis, we head straight across to uh, Pip Morris uh, on behalf of the TAB this morning. Uh, Pip, what have you got for us? Well, looking forward to Palmerston North for the Greyhound side of things. Smithy is feature meeting there with the Manawatu Cup heat. A two of those starting on race number four. He's got two Nancy Cobain Memorial heats, two over the extreme distance. And the sprinters as well will go to war. It's a cracker of a meeting. Bonus back races on the first two races. And there is a futures market available on all three of those with a Group 1 winner, a power superstar. Does lead the betting. And then, of course, we look ahead to the weekend. Bonus back blitz is back across Winger 2 in Plymouth, Ramlet and Caulfield on the first four races. Can say in the Group 3 there. At Winger Tui, Hasbro is the best stack at five. And the three dollars and fifty cents on his bonus back tonight to it out of the Eleven oh three New Zealand time, but uh, it's a good deal earlier in Beijing, where our next guest joins us from. And of course, the Winter Olympics opening ceremony takes place uh, later tonight, New Zealand time. Uh, it's already underway with a bit of curling. I watched some curling last night. Ice hockey, luge, and skiing. Uh, already underway in those competitions, but uh, great friend of the show, Lavina Good. Uh, we knew she was going there. We now know she's arrived safely uh, and getting ready. Uh, Lavina, I think it's about six o'clock in the morning over there. Thanks for for getting up early for us. What's the vibe? What What are you feeling? I'll, I'll tell you what. It's bloody cold in China, mate. <laughs> when I left Tauranga, it was twenty seven. I know it's the Winter Olympics, but jeepers, it's it's muckaretty. Um, when I left Tauranga, it was twenty six, twenty seven degrees, and then we hopped off the plane and got smacked in the face with about minus one. So it's really, really cold. Um, but you know, it's been a really interesting trip so far. We've got the opening ceremony tonight, which I'm quite looking forward to. So I'm I'm going to head along to that. But just the process, Smitty. I, I was in Japan six months ago for for the Olympic Games, but the Olympic Winter Games here in China is is so different. Getting here in the first place, buddy, was really tricky in terms of making sure I had a green code and downloading applications and sending through information through to customs. And that was months of hard work. And then on arrival off the plane, it's testing after testing after testing, complete isolation and closed loops. We are only, I'm here with a bunch of maybe 35 international commentators. We're only allowed to go from our accommodation to the venue to the International Broadcast Centre and back again. And and I get it because China has had hardly any cases. There's like a billion people here in China and I think they've had 150, 160 Omicron cases or, or cases of COVID in the last month. So they don't want us all to bring it in and they don't want us all to bring it back. So it's a very different games to what I experienced last time I was in China for the, for the Summer Games in 2008. Well, Lavina, one of the things uh, about it is uh, that it's happening. A lot of things around the world are not happening. I would imagine uh, your your fellow commentators, your fellow broadcasters, etc., are expecting massive ratings around the world for this event. I, I know we are in New Zealand. Absolutely. Uh, the expectation was there maybe four or five months ago. It may not go ahead. 
Um, there was issues with not just the actual event going ahead, but to get the broadcasters here from OBS, the um, International Olympic Broadcast Systems, to do the filming and all the commentary team in. That was always hard. Um, but in the end, once they got the thumbs up six weeks ago, it was all going. I think we even realised, Smitty, with the Summer Games, that initially there was a lot of apprehension from the New Zealand audience as to whether or not the Summer Games should be going ahead. And once they did, it was received with open arms and keen eyes. And I think that'll be the same for the Winter Olympics, definitely back in in New Zealand. And I've been chatting to the commentators from South Africa and from Australia and from France, and they've been saying the same thing. There's a heightened interest from from their audience back home to see what's going to happen at these Olympics. And I guess we've got some newcomers coming through as well. And for us in New Zealand, we're we're really proud. I I know, you know, Nico and Zoe are on the, the lips of everyone, but we've got some other athletes out there that we hope do their country proud. In the sport of biathlon, mate, I'm commentating some biathlon. We've got that young Campbell Wright. I, I chatted to you about him about a month ago and I was mm. really hoping he'd get picked in the team and he was the last athlete to be selected by the New Zealand Olympic Committee. And biathlon in Norway is the most popular sport. It's more popular than the NBA is in America in terms of per capita. And we've got this 19-year-old kid from, you know, born in Rotorua that trained down in Hawa and Wanaka that's going to represent his country on the world stage. And it's it's stories like that that make the Winter Olympics resonate with everyone. I'm excited that it's going ahead. I think the vision will be absolutely spectacular. The graphics will be like something you've never seen before. I was at the curling yesterday to watch Australia versus China. And, I mean, how often do you watch curling? Once every four years you get a taste of it. Mm. And the Olympic winter experience makes it really worthwhile. It's been great so far. And to be honest, the Games haven't even started. Uh, They haven't started, and there was uh, a slight negative over here. You may have picked up on it, the non-selection of Pieta Hudson, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, had uh, thought that she'd done enough to qualify. Uh, Are you over that? Yeah, I'm a big fan of trying to send as many Kiwis over to an international competition as possible. I know the New Zealand Olympic Committee work hard on trying to send athletes that have a good chance at a certain level. They cap that level. And if you make it above that level, like Campbell Wright did, he had to get in the top 16 in the world to make sure he could go over to biathlon and he came 15th in his very last World Cup appearance. So it's capped. You've got to make it and you get an opportunity. I love the fact that Kiwis are on that world stage. You're not always going to win a medal. There's not always that chance. Um, And I think as we move forward, it would be great if it wasn't just looked at, hey, we're going to carry the New Zealand flag and we're going to be on a podium. Maybe it's about representing a sport and someone's efforts that have gone into it. But, yeah, you kind of have to put all of that behind you at some stage, support the team that's there and just take your hat off to New Zealand for being on the other side of the world and still being highly competitive in so many sports that are dominated by Europeans, Americans and Asians all over the world. Uh, let's look at uh, the two New Zealand flag bearers for um, our team this evening. And I understand quite a limited attendance from our team with, uh, I think, the odd athletes still arriving and then, of course, those preparing or getting involved very quickly in the competition. So uh, are you able to uh, even attend the opening ceremony? Will it be a, a massive show? Yeah, it's going to be a massive show. I went to the dress rehearsal um, a a couple of nights ago. As you can appreciate, there's probably going to be 11,500 LED lights 
There's a lot of lights going on in China, mate. <laughs> Everything is LED lit, <laughs> believe me. There'll be tons of lights. <laughs> Expect a lighting show. Um, and without giving away too much because, you know, every phone call and message is monitored and I wouldn't be surprised if I'm monitored right now in my room, but um, there'll be lots of children as well. Smitty, I'm not giving away too much there to tell you. Every opening ceremony has lots of children. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's an opportunity there for our flag bearers to um, be proud of what they're doing to represent their country and to get the acknowledgement from the fans back home. It's horrible timing for the people in New Zealand to, to stay up late, I think, at 8 o'clock at night. It'll be about one o'clock in the morning. So the family and friends of those bearing the flag will be there, but there'll be plenty of highlights to catch the next day as day one of competition gets underway. And it's only 15 days of competition, just over over two weeks of competition to sink your teeth into anything that you like. But the one thing I'd really like to say to you sports fans, Smitty, is that you might be a snowboard fan or you might like the alpine skiing with Alice Robinson, etc. but have a taste of something else. I mean, I was at the ice hockey rink yesterday to have a look at some warm-up games and some practice matches. And if you've never watched a game of ice hockey, now's the time to do it. On the other end, if you've never seen a um, match of curling, now's the time to do it. Or even if you've never been a figure skating fan, now's the time to do it. And we've got those fans out there that once every four years get a taste of the Winter Olympics. It doesn't always have to be a Kiwi that's competing. The sport's phenomenal. The coverage will be second to none. And it'll be like you're in China watching it from the seat. So I, I really tempt all those sports fans out there that are, are lacking an injection of sport of somewhat over the next couple of weeks to, to get a taste of it. Because the Olympic Winter Games of the 24th Olympiad here in China in Beijing will be Absolutely spectacular, just like the opening ceremony tonight. Hey, Lavina, do you have like a, a roving commission with your employers over there or do you have a fixed schedule? I mean, what are we likely to, to hear and see you involved in? Okay, so OBS are the Olympic Broadcast Systems and they bring in um, international commentators from around the world and they do all the filming of the vision and they put our voices on the vision and they sell that around the world. So I've been called in to work on the Nordic sports, which is cross-country, ski jumping um, and also biathlon and I'll be doing that over the next two weeks and they'll be selling that vision and my voice to countries all over the world including New Zealand so if you get a chance to watch Campbell Ride and the biathlon you should be hearing me somewhere or if you like a bit of ski jumping a la Eddie the Eagle 1988 in Calgary you'll catch my voice um, but there's plenty of other sports out there with lots of other commentators that will be um, contributing to the sport it's just it's about you finding a sport that you like and getting a taste of it um, but OBS have been really good to me in the past with with Japan and now China and they're a great organisation to work for um, and they're massive. I mean everything you see from the Olympic Games comes from them wherever you are in the world. They're a good organisation to work for and, and we're quite privileged to be here and to be working on it. Okay let's look at uh, the New Zealanders who start competing from tomorrow onwards. Uh, we spoke this morning to uh, Zoe uh, Sadusky Sinnott's uh, dad, Sean, uh, he was uh, a little bit apprehensive, nervous, uh, looking forward to it at the same time uh, because of the expectation upon her and along with cool Wakashima. Gee, they've got great names, these kids. Uh, and the snow sporting <laughs> slope style. It's <laughs> the slope style. Uh, we, we could, I mean, there's nothing like uh, an early medal to light up a competition, is there? And we're big chances here. 
kills me though. It kills me a week before we come out. Everyone's talking gold, gold, gold. I know they did great at mm. the Winter Games to take the mantle and be on the podium, but I'm just one of those New Zealand fans that don't like people or the media to say, "Hey, we're going to get our first gold, first gold, first gold," as we head over to a competition and lead a competition a weekend. So I understand understand Sean's apprehension with Zoe and the expectation of a nation on them. Sometimes I always think the Kiwi um, athletes perform better when they don't have that meta, uh, piano on their back that's been lifted because the expectation isn't there. But, you know, these kids are professional now. They've been here before. They know what the expectation is. They know the effort that goes into it. They know what they want to do. They know what they're capable of with the training that they've put in. So let's hope the expectation can be matched with their performance on the snow. The conditions here will play a part, though, Smitty. Let me tell you, there was snow here a couple of weeks ago um, right in the heart of Beijing where we've been operating from. Um, The mountains today uh, are expected um, to heat up with lots of wind, so there might be some cancellations on some of that alpine skiing that will be coming down. There's protection values in place, I know, and Zhongzhai call for the for the snowboarding, but the conditions in terms of fake snow being created, because there hasn't been a lot of fresh snow over the past couple of weeks, and with the wind coming through later on this afternoon, might also hamper some athletes tomorrow. But in terms of Zoe, all she really needs to do is focus on her effort um, and what she's done in the past and not take on board the fact that she's got a weight of five million people saying we need our first gold we need our first gold she's capable of it she's talented enough she's committed enough she's got the headspace for it she just needs to get into the game tomorrow i think to make sure that she can put that effort into performance out on that snowboard ramp mate because she's really really good yeah, she is good, and so, of course, is uh, Nico Porteous, and, of course, they're fresh off that success at the X Games, which just go- gives me uh, a little bit of concern because uh, a, a gold medal, as you say, a gold medal at the Winter Olympics is probably the ultimate achievement for these young kids. But, and, yeah. and here's a very, very poor, a very, very poor pun I'm going to throw in here. I'm just a bit worried that some of the opposition might have been keeping their powder dry, so to speak. Good one, mate. There's lots of jokes you can make about powder, so that's a good one. I like that one. That's a good analogy. I reckon you're true, though. There's a lot of athletes out there that um, hold back a little bit. Um, I know a lot of the Europeans have been holding back and decided not to compete in the X Games over in Colorado. They wanted to wait for Beijing. It's a great warm-up for the Olympics, and I know to be on the top of the podium feels good and the expectation is there now. But they've just got to do what they've done in the past, which is compete to their best. And in terms of Nico, I mean, what he's achieved, you know, the performance and the moves that he can do in a halfpipe is phenomenal. I mean, can you imagine commentating that? It's hard to see it, let alone commentate mm. on it, how many times yeah. that kid can move and twist and turn. It's phenomenal. Um, they're, they're great representations in terms of New Zealand. It would be really good for New Zealand to secure that first gold medal. Um, of course, uh, Mr Cook had done that back in the Paralympics, I think, in Vancouver. So we've done that once in gold for the um, Paralympics. Let's see if it can happen in the Olympic Winter Games here in Beijing. But just to represent New Zealand on that world stage and to be one of the best in the world is going to be good. But I tell you what, that golden tinge, mate, looks good on snow, doesn't it? Doesn't that look good? It sure as hell does. And uh, just to let you know, you're not missing out too much uh, on the weather front in uh, Tauranga today because it's just a mild 23, partly cloudy, uh, and that's as high as it's going to get today. So you, you, um, you just wrap up warm over there. We're worried about your welfare and continue oh, to answer the phone for us. We we love we love chatting to you and, and enjoy enjoy it. It sounds like it's going to be something really special to be at. Thank you uh, as always, Lavina, for your time.
Thanks so much, Mitty. Appreciate it. Appreciate the New Zealand support. And just quickly, I do have to spend 10 days in MIQ when I get back. I'm not pregnant. I'm a bit old for that, mate. But if anyone has an opportunity for me not to spend that time in managed isolation and to get me home to my whanau and Tauranga and isolate at home, I would love that. Work on it, Smitty. Work on it. Oh, we shall. We shall. We put you right at the top of the list. Thank you, girl. Uh, go well. It's 11.18 here on... SENZ, what an an opportunity. But, yeah, uh, right at the end of it is uh, the downside, isn't it? It's the old just get built up, built up, and then bang, straight between the eyes. Yeah, but when you get home, you can't go home. Mind-blowing. Right, yeah, uh, I've given you the time, and I'll give you the opportunity to hear some of your texts uh, very shortly here. SENZ in the mornings, marching our way uh, to Friday at midday uh, because uh, we're going to do well in it. Um, and uh, it's just something so completely different to sporting life uh, as most of us know it. Mike has come in and said the buses these days uh, that these guys travel in are far removed from the old Bedford bone rattlers we used to travel in. Bus trips were always a good, great bonding time. Well, they will be. They'll have plenty of chance. We estimate uh, between seven and eight hours on a bus for a game down in Dunedin. Um, uh, It'll be a good bus trip if you win coming home if you don't and you get pounded it'll be a very long quiet bus trip and i think headphones will be you know the headphones that they have these days every player has headphones uh they'll be at a premium and getting as much sleep as you can in preparation or on the way home will also be at a premium they'll have someone on board um these these uh, franchises john are so well equipped They'll have an expert on bus travel. I'm absolutely <laughs> sure. Look at every other base <laughs> A specialist bus coach. How to how to ride the bus, yeah. the best position to be in the bus, uh, fr- at the front if you're a front rower. You know, it's got more uh, leg room potentially for the locks. Uh, bus positioning expert. Yeah, absolutely. I might actually apply for that. Oh, I think uh, I, I just look forward to the fights to get the, for the back seat. Like used to the legendary stories of fighting for the back seat with a Little halfback would have a go and just get bounced progressively back down to the front of the bus. And ah, good fun, all good fun stuff. Uh, here's uh, this is a fun one that's just come in. So Tim, so Tim Shadbolt, of course, has just announced that uh, on the back of the fact that uh, Invercargill had the Super Rugby, uh, 24 hours later hadn't got it. He's just announced that Rugby Park has been sold and is to be re- redeveloped into affordable housing, and all future rugby in the province will take place. And nightcaps, John, nightcaps? Yeah, I hadn't heard of nightcaps before, um, but apparently it's 83 kilometres northwest of Invercargill uh, and has a population of 306, Smithy. Uh, and it is called Nightcaps. They think it got its name because the snow that is often seen on the Takitimu Mountains. So what part of New Zealand, I don't know very well. I certainly know Takitimu Seafoods, uh, but I haven't heard about the Takitimu Mountains before. So Nightcaps, the new home of Southland Rugby, sounds bloody cold. They could win more games 9-3 for the Ramfilly Shield like they did against Canterbury all those years ago. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, true. Nightcaps, there's all sorts of ramifications there. I haven't... Uh, Seen nightcaps as COVID numbers lately, but uh, I, I assume uh, that they are relatively low for Sir Tim to suggest that. Another text has just come in and said a coach, a coach, not a bus. Um, oh, that's what they're called, aren't they? Luxury coaches these days. Uh, I remember Ian Chappell saying um, when they first mooted a coach for the Australian cricket team, 
And nah, mate, that's what they uh, put. That's what they put the team on to get them to the ground. That's what a coach is, and that's what a coach should ever be in cricket. <laughs> uh, how wrong was he, Chapelli? Uh, coach is uh, well. A coach is the hottest topic in Australian cricket at the moment. Will he stay or will he go? Uh, Stephen's come in. Stephen from Manarewa has said, make sure that Sky employ the best prepared rugby commentator in New Zealand at Queenstown for the Super Games. My mate Tom Conroy. Uh, no disrespect to Grant, but Tom's research is far better. I'll, uh, I'll take Nisbo um, any day of the week, but I totally agree with you. Uh, I think Tom Conroy is a very, very good sports commentator and very well rese- uh, researched as that. Um, I haven't heard anything from Sky as regards uh, the commentary side of things, whether they'll have a crew based in Dunedin now uh, and whether they have a crew based uh, in Queenstown to avoid the travel in between bubbles, etc., uh, I'm not even sure if they're allowed access to the ground or what personnel you can have there. Certainly cameramen, production staff, so the games can be beamed around the world. But uh, whether they'll have on-site commentators, uh, I do not know. And uh, when it came to the overseas tours, of course, uh, most of those games, pretty much all of them, uh, were called out of Auckland by a combination of, of commentators. Uh, John, we've, we talked this morning about... Uh, the uh, Plunkett Shield match, it's the first game, I think, for Auckland, too, in the competition uh, yeah. this season. They've got some real catching up to do. They won the toss. Uh, how are they going? They're going very well, uh, of course. Kyle Jamison bowling beautifully. Uh, one for eight off six overs in his opening spell. Uh, got the wicket of Jeep Raval, clean bowled him. Uh, all ends up really. Jeep Raval out for three of 15 balls. Uh, Henry Cooper, I think it is, fellow opener, uh, took over 20 balls to get off the mark. He is seven of 55 deliveries. And Cartany Clark's just come to the crease. He is eight of 11. So, Northern Districts men batting first at Eden Park, out of Oval, 27 for one after 13 overs. So, some good signs from Cole Jamison there, Smithy, uh, as he looks to concentrate on domestic cricket and Black Caps cricket rather than going into the IPL. <laughs> Big call to hand up possibly a million bucks, isn't it, to concentrate? But that's uh, dedication. Um, and maybe he's uh, made a call. At a, uh, he's at a turning point in his career. He could either keep going onwards or it could go backwards. And uh, that's a really interesting call for me. Uh, through my uh, technology here, I can see um, Brian Rarity poised on the panel. He's absolutely poised on the panel. And he knows why. Because right now, we're opening up the lines to Stump Smithy. And it's special today because it's for $200. $200 worth of TAB vouchers plus the sleep drops. Has there been a bigger prize? I do not think so. Good luck. Only the best will win today, I promise you that. It's 11.30 and here is the news with Karen. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. I'm nervous, I'm excited, and it's an historic Stumped by Smithy today because we have quadruple jackpotted into 200 bucks a voucher from the TAB if you win today, along with those Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Who has made it through first? It's either Louis or Lewis. Uh, written on the screen. How do you pronounce it? Are you a Louis or are you a Lewis? Oh, Ian knows what one. Ian knows what, what one. Does he? Okay. Oh. Smithy, are we talking to Lewis or Louis? I think we're talking to Louis. Louis. All hey, right, mate. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Auckland, but I'm a bay boy. 
Oh, of course. So that's how you know Smithy. Right. So you're in Auckland and you're going to go head to head with Ian Smith for 200 yep. bucks from the TAB. You know how this works. You get three sporting categories. You choose one. Then you answer three questions correctly. You win. As soon as you get one wrong, though, you can be stumped and plenty of other people waiting to get that 200 bucks. So today your sports are tennis, netball, or rugby union. Which one of those gives you oh. the best chance of winning? Oof. Let's go. Let's go netball. Netball. Okay. A bit out there, but maybe good enough to beat Smithy. We'll have to find out. Your interest levels in netball, Louis? Um, reasonably low. I'm just hoping they're higher than Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> Technical. All right. Let's go. Question number one: The Silver Ferns are the current netball world champions. But which country are the Commonwealth champions? Ooh. Well, I'm going to have to go Australia. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, who are the Commonwealth champions of netball? Well, uh, Louis, um, I think you're going to be disappointed here. Um, and I, I, I really think here that uh, we've mentioned it was not New Zealand. Basically, in the question, he said it's not New Zealand because he said, but who are, and you've ruled out Australia, and I can't think of anyone else that could possibly win it in the Commonwealth apart from England. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You have been stumped first ball, Louis, a golden duck. England beat Australia 52-51 in the final of the last Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, which means you are gone. (laughs) Fair enough, Smithy. Fair enough. Oh, the technical netball didn't pay off, Smithy. Sometimes, sometimes victory is so sweet. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Unlucky, Louis. On to to Andy. Andy, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, I am very well. That was quite entertaining, wasn't it? Um, Do you want to stick with netball for your two questions, or do you want to switch to rugby or tennis? Yeah, I'll go to uh, we'll go to rugby, please. Rugby union, a strong suit for most New Zealanders. All right, Andy, you know what's on the line. How are the nerves? I'm actually the old heart rate hissing at the moment. Yeah, I Not bet. Chance, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, mate. All right, let's go. All right, question number two: Who is the most capped Test rugby player of all time? Most capped. Um. I will go uh, Alun Win jones here. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right oh. in the slot, and away it oh. goes. Don't know about the pronunciation, Smithy, but it was yeah, the right answer. Uh, that's the one, Alan Win jones of course, uh, who came off uh, injured, I think, against the All Blacks uh, towards the end of uh, last year. But as a lock, imagine that, in the engine room as a lock, Six Nations, all that stuff every year, some kind of bloke. Some Absolutely. kind of legend in the game, yep. Alan Wynne Jones. So uh, here goes, Andy. This is it, my old mate. This is what the Dark Destroyers call uh, on the chase a one question shootout for 200 bucks plus the sleep drops. Are you up to it? We shall find out. Hit him, John. Hit him. The crowd goes quiet. Who had a better winning percentage as an All Black? Comrade Smith, Richie McCaw, Ma'anonu, or Dan Carter? Jesus. Twenty-five oh, percent chance oh. here. Best winning percentage. 
Uh, what are my four options again, sorry? No, that's all right. I'll give them to you again. Conrad Smith, Richie McCaw, Ma'anonu or Dan Carter? Jeez. Oh, um, things always went pretty well when Conrad Smith was uh, was out on the uh, on the field, so I'll go Conrad Smith. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh, right no! In the slot. And the way it goes. He has smashed it out of the park, Andy. You've won 200 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Well done, son. Well done. How good. Thank you very much. Woo! Oh, Andy. That is amazing, mate. Congratulations. Uh, I was I was thinking, why did he have Conrad Smith in there? Why did he have Ma Anonu? Because I was gonna, if I wasn't Conrad, I was going to go for Ma Anonu. Uh, and I thought, well, uh, it's got to be one yeah. of those two because they're in there. Uh, that was under I my chase Richie's theory. So but obvious. Everyone loves Richie, so I thought, stay clear yeah. of that. And then, yeah, Conrad, Ma, Ma was the way, uh, yeah, I thought could be him. But, yeah, went, went Conrad, got lucky, and we'll take it. Okay. Good on you, mate. Enjoy it. Hey, 200 bucks. Yes, Smithy. You're going to have a great weekend, whatever happens, mate. Fantastic. Thanks for calling. And the sleep drops as well. Just in case you lose the 200, you might leave the street, sleep drops straight afterwards. So uh, all the best, mate. Have a great uh, long weekend and uh, invest wisely. You're the champion for the week. Well done, Andy. Cheers, mate. See you later. Yeah, okay. Stay on the line and uh, Brian will get your details. Uh, and speaking of champions, champions of the harness racing industry, Mick Guerin with us next. Bears here. Download the SN Things with Ian Smith on SNZ. It is 11.44 and time to focus in our usual slot now. It is... Uh, Harness Racing, uh, courtesy of uh, the harness racing industry, uh, and you can visit them on their website at hrnz.co.nz and get involved in harness racing if you want to. You can live the dream. Uh, today, uh, Mick, we would normally be focusing on the meetings of Hawara and Addington and perhaps Wyndham on Sunday, uh, but it's, it's a tinge with great sadness because of the passing of one of the great legends uh, of Roy Purden uh, just uh, 24 hours ago. At the uh, age of 94, what what a man in the industry. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, you're right, he was. Um, you know, you've obviously dealt with far more famous people than, than I have, but when you do meet those people who are at the absolute top of the tree, you know, the absolute legends of their sport, you hope they're good people and you hope they're generous of soul and time. And, and, and Roy was. Every single person I ever met who met Roy Purden um, would come away afterwards and say, what an amazing guy, gentle of nature, outstanding with horses, generous of his time, a small man with a giant handshake, um, and his his record, his legacy in racing, not only his own training record, Smithy, which is, which is huge, but he's, he's that name. He is the person who started the dynasty of Barry Purden, his son, Hall of Fame trainer, Owen Purden, another son, outstanding trainer, Mark Purden, his youngest son, possibly New Zealand's best trainer, and some people would say best trainer of any code in horse racing, mm. and his son-in-law, who has been a huge part of his career, is Tony Hurley. When you put all those names together and put that over the template of the harness racing industry, it is impossible to overstate the significance Roy had, not only as a person, as a family man, but, but as a guy who 
was a bit of a moral guiding light sometimes, Smithy. Sometimes people like you and me can get a little bit over the top and a little bit carried away. It's always nice to have a sane mentor to pull you back into place and say, hey, uh, in the long, long scheme of things, this isn't going to be too big a deal. And that was Roy, who until just three days ago, Smithy, until Monday, four days ago, lived in his own house. He only went to the hospital for two days before he passed away. Um, old age caught up with him and, uh, and uh, probably about 70 years of hard work. Um, most of it, uh, carrying a limp, Roy had a rugby injury at mm. the age of 14, which meant he spent six months in the Wilson home in Takapuna in a cast back in the days when, shall we say, the medical procedures weren't quite as sophisticated as they are these days. Um, to be able to work around horses when every single step he took in his life was one that required more effort than a person who didn't have that disadvantage had to go through. Um, remarkable. A remarkable story and the absolute patriarch of New Zealand harness racing passing away. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, he and, uh, of course, uh, Barry, but he by himself uh, and in partnership with Barry, they won uh, 21 premierships. That is quite staggering. Uh, four New Zealand Cups with uh, legendary horses, and I mean, you know, all these horses, Soul Command, Luxury Liner, Christopher Vance, and uh, most recently in 93 uh, with Choken. Yeah, and, and then Roy retired in 95, and, and um, I was lucky enough to write a, a story in the Herald this morning um, about how his influence never changed even after that. His champion trainer son, Mark, one of his two champion trainer sons, um, had a horse called Self Assured who was misbehaving in the lead up to the New Zealand Cup in 2020. That's just 15 months ago. And Roy rang Mark. He, he didn't often give the boys advice. And he rang him and said, Mark, you need to put an under check on that horse. That's a, a piece of gear which makes the horse behave a little bit better. And Mark, who is a training great, said, well, I hadn't sort of thought of that, Dad. And his dad, who at the time was 93 and was watching the races from a 1,000 kilometres away in Auckland, said, no, I watched the race last night. Then I replayed it three times this morning and you need to put an undercheck on. Mark did that. He said the second he did it, he thought to himself, how did I not see that myself? The next start, Smithy. Self-assured came out and won the New Zealand Cup with impressive manners. And as Mark said to me, he said, Dad could see that, that I couldn't see, driving the horse from 1,000 kilometres away at the age of 93. Yeah, it's one of the great stories, and there'll be some great reflections, I'm sure. Um, and perhaps uh, your shows as well over the weekend, particularly with, uh, hopefully with Greg on Sunday. So uh, I was going to focus on... Uh, uh, Mick uh, racing at, at Hawara, at Addington um, and at Wyndham but uh, I guess you'll be able to do that and uh, you're with Louis in the morning? Uh, no, Louis's taking the day off he's, ta he's going to oh. a wedding so I've been abandoned so the good news well, the bad news for the punters is Smithy, I'm in charge of the show tomorrow but the good news is we do have some sanity joining us Matt Cross from Christchurch is joining us because the biggest race of the weekend is actually at Wingatui in Dunedin, they have a $100,000 race mm. tomorrow. We're going to have Shane Anderson on. Michael Pittman's going to join us. Andrew Carsons. We're going to talk to Albert Bosma from Co Racing. We're going to talk to Roger James. It's going to be a full show tomorrow. And then, as you mentioned, that kicks off at 8 o'clock, by the way. At noon on Sunday, we'll update you on the harness racing world and have more of a chance to, to talk to some of the people closer to Roy Purden about what made him so great. So plenty of racing coming up. 
here on SCNZ Smithy over the weekend. The big dance for harness racing is tonight at Addington, where the big name is Muscle Mountain. He faces an unusual challenge in the race of the night. That is race seven at 8pm. Mark, thanks very much for your, your tribute, your words about Roy Purden. Uh, I don't think there's anyone in the country is probably more qualified to do that. So uh, thank you. Uh, I'll be reading your article, uh, of course, as well. Uh, and look forward to listening to you over the weekend. Thanks uh, for your input, mate, as always. Thanks, Billy. Have a great weekend, mate. Yeah, same to you, yeah. Uh, Mick Guerin there, folks. Uh, it's 11.50 here on SENZ, uh, and a chance to catch up with the staffy before midday.